It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Hear ye, hear ye. The NFL draft season on Giants.com and our digital platforms henceforth begins. John Shelton, Paul Dettino with you on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Today's guest from the NFL Draft Bible and now affiliated with some other stuff too, Rick Saratella. We'll get to Rick in a second, but first I want to remind you folks that the Giants Huddle Podcast is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all our shows, including the Giants Huddle Podcast, Big Blue Kickoff Live, and Giants Rewind on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platform. So I got two paisans with me today. I got Mr. Dettino and I got our good friend Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible, also an advanced scout for the NFL PA Bowl. And Rick, you guys just are about to come to an agreement with Sports Illustrated, right? Tell us all about it. Yeah, very exciting times, obviously, with January being draft season and now our partnership with Sports Illustrated. So NFL Draft Bible becomes the official NFL Draft content provider for Sports Illustrated, which essentially means we're bringing the whole platform over to uh, good, old, good old SI and, and looking forward to distributing all of our live stream shows, our scouting reports, our rankings, our official draft guide. The publication will still be in effect. So really excited about it, taking the NFL Draft Bible mainstream. It's, it's been a long time coming. We've been doing it since 2002, and, and now we get to bring it to the masses. So very excited about it, and I appreciate that, guys. Well, Rick, it's a great time to jump to an even larger platform because I think right now the general public and the football fan out there with everything that's gone on with the opt-outs and the pandemic and everything else, it is probably going to be the most hungry that a fan could possibly be to uncover whatever information they can get their hands on, being that, let's face it, a lot of us were unable to see, you know, watching TV on our own homes, a lot of these prospects who were going to be talked about. Now, that's exactly right, Paul. And I think there's a need not only for the fans, but for the team. Because, you know, I interact with a lot of these scouts, and they said, hey, what you guys have, we don't even have. And so, you know, I hope that if it's good enough for the team, I hope it's good enough for the fans. But, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, this is an unprecedented draft process, and, evaluation process last year obviously a lot of the pro days got wiped out but now we're we're you know uh in uncharted territory here you know possible no combine we don't know what the pro day scene will look like here at the nflpa collegiate bowl we're having our virtual event we also lost the east west shrine game so you know if you weren't one of those 100 or 120 players invited down to mobile for the senior bowl it's going to be very difficult for prospects to get on the NFL radar, and there just hasn't been the in-season scouting, uh, the scouts down on the field interacting with the coaches, getting to know the players. The, the you know the group think is a big thing. You know it's a big thing, and we don't have any of that this year. Can I just follow up one second here, John? Yeah, Rick, I want you to I want you to just go through for for one moment now the the combine, the pro days, the regional combines. How much has actually been saved? By my understanding, the Senior Bowl is still safe and the Hula Bowl is still safe, and everything else has either been mutated to a very heavy degree or is not, is not really at the, at the moment uh, necessarily going to happen. Is that how you understand it? You know, as of this 
podcast mid-January, we, we don't have a combine date. And, and to me, the chances of having one during the normal scheduled time is probably not going to happen because my understanding is if there is a combine, it will be done in a way or a manner where the players are staggered. It will take two weeks instead of one week to pull it off. You're flying in 350 players from around the country, bringing them into the Indianapolis medical facilities. And there's a lot of angst about that. Um, There's a lot of pushback from city officials. Now, we know hotels, restaurants, they're getting refunds to people. The convention center is not open. And then, oh, by the way, the Final Four is now taking place. The entire tournament is taking place in Indianapolis. So because the NFL would need two weeks to do this thing, it would, you know, basically coincide with March Madness. Now, what they can do is push it to April, I'm told, have it the first week of April, and then essentially, you know, you have two weeks until the draft to kind of reset your board accordingly based on what happens with, with the combine. But, you know, the main thing here is they need the medical reports. And if they can't get it done in Indianapolis, then you're looking at a possible regional combine scenario. And there will be no positional drills, from what I'm told. So they'll be lucky to get a, a 40 and, and short shuttle and, and vertical and things of that nature. But it's going to be a very condensed format, if it even happens at all. And, you know, I think that's the reality is there will be either no combine or a consolidated version. Interesting. And, Rick, I think what makes it then even more interesting is that my understanding is is that 99% of these colleges have not allowed scouts on campus for most of this season for the teams that have played. Is that your understanding as well? How blind right now are these NFL scouts in terms of how they're working? Because if you eliminate the large majority of this you know, postseason draft process and these guys weren't allowed to be at practices, get to know these guys over the course of the year – it feels like everybody's kind of flying blind here a little bit. You know, it's really going to be a lot of value placed on experienced scouts because now what you have is, you know, all 32 teams contacting the pro liaisons at the colleges and the universities. And guess what? (laughs) If you're, if you're new to the scouting trails, you don't, you don't necessarily get that callback. I mean, these guys only have so much time in a day, you know, take it how you want it. It's really not the university, the, the coaching staff, or the school's responsibility once you graduate or leave that program. Their priority, their main concern is really not you know, getting you to the next level. I'm sure they'll help you out where they can, but it's not a priority. So I think the experienced scouts uh, have the upper hand here because they do get those callbacks. They do get that information, but a lot of that personalized, one-on-one, you know, being able to interact with the player because the other thing is the NCAA granted an extra year of eligibility to every single player. So technically, even the seniors have to quote-unquote declare for the draft, and if you're considered an underclassman, scouts are not allowed to talk to you. And so now you're looking at a process where essentially even the, even the interviews down in, in Mobile are going to be done via Zoom. So do you mm. ever really get a chance to sit down, look this player face-to-face, get to know him as a person. As you guys know, you lose some of that personal, you know, authenticity on a Zoom, and now you got to figure out what's in the mind, what's in the heart, 
and, and invest millions of dollars into an individual. And I think what you'll find is the experienced scouting staffs will succeed, and there will probably be more hit, more misses than than any year before. So, Rick, just to confirm very quickly, your understanding is like mine that these guys have not been allowed on campus over the course of the year. Yeah, I didn't even answer your question, right? So, no, that's okay. They have they have been uh, limited at some universities, but it's not where you're allowed down on the field. It's essentially like, hey, they'll give you a ticket in the stadium. So you you want the eyeball test? You're not down on the field standing next to the player. You might be, you know, in the stands ten rows back, trying to size up a player. And a lot of players and a lot of schools have restricted scout access into the press box because there's only so many, you know, with the social distancing, there's only so many space for media and scouts to attend. So it's been very limited. Uh, depending on what part of the country you are in. So, Rick, obviously, and we talked a little bit about this last year because this thing was already kind of hovering around us, not to the degree that it is right now, but the tape work becomes basically the bulk of, if not everything, in most cases, of what you have on a player. Uh, has that been at all difficult in terms of being able to acquire enough of tape and video and film and all that stuff that you need to get on all the different prospects? Because I would assume that, you know, Dave Gettleman talks about eyes bleeding. You know, you watch so much tape. I got to think that that's really what everybody's going through right now is trying to make sure they've got enough video on everybody. Yeah, and I I think there's a little bit of cabin fever for the scouts because that's basically all they can do. And so, you know, they're going back through last year's film, this year's film, but they, they really want to get out on the scouting trails and obviously do that in a safe manner. But, yeah, getting film is going to be the priority, and, you know, a lot of teams and boards aren't really going to be changing much between now and April if the combine is even held because, really, what do you base it on? I mean, after the Senior Bowl, that could be it, right? And And, and so – you know, the film is going to be your grade. And, and I think, again, where, where we lose out is we saw six FCS players drafted last year. That was an all-time low. The previous all-time low was the year before, which was 18. I think the other thing where players get hurt again, you saw it last year, typically on average, 40 players not invited to the combine will generally get drafted. Last mm-hmm. year, we saw only 20 half of that number because again tracking down these measurables a lot of these scouts haven't been on campus this past year to get the latest measurements and now we're you know dependent upon the senior bowl and you know possibly these regional combines or you know third party independent a lot of former nfl scouts you know getting out there and working with the agent community and doing these privatized individual pro day workouts which i'll tell you what fellas the teams appreciate them more than having nothing interesting yeah. but you gotta always wonder if you can trust the, i remember a couple of those numbers that came out of those workouts like oh yeah he, he ran a four two nine forty, and you just gotta <laughs> roll your eyes and you're like no you did it this guy ran a four five five at the combine he didn't run a four two nine on his pro day sorry fellas, my agent said that i ran a three five but nobody believed yeah, exactly. me exactly <laughs> The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Rick, the other thing that I find interesting, and this will, I guess, transition us to the player part of this. 
How much do teams have to worry about recency bias? And I'll give the example of what just happened in the college football playoffs. Everyone is talking about Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith. Oh, he could get picked second by the Jets. He can go here. He can go there. It's like, did everybody forget what Jamar Chase did last year? <laughs> Just because they haven't seen him in a while. You got guys like Micah Parsons, Penay Sewell. Go through the guys that opted out but are just phenomenal players, but you haven't seen them play in a year. So how do these teams approach that where some of these truly great talents haven't been on a football field since January 2020, you know, more than a year ago, but they're still just as talented enough more so than some of the guys they've seen more recently. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for the guys who opted out, like, you know, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, these are blue-chip talents, right? And, and they can lean on last year's film. I remember being at the Combine with you guys and talking about Jamar Chase. You know, we asked all the cornerbacks, you know, who's the toughest receiver you tried to cover throughout your career? It was unanimous. Jamar Chase. If I asked 12 corners, all 12 said Jamar Chase. Wow. And I think, you know, in this year's draft class, what's remarkable, if you look at it, out of all the receivers in this year's draft, and all of college football, in fact, plays of over 20 yards for their career, Jamar Chase is still number two in all of college football amongst wide receivers behind Devontae Smith. Wow. And that's incredible considering he didn't even play this year. <laughs> that is crazy. Man. You know, so, I mean, that just goes to show you what, what type of player that is, but you know, I, I do think, you know, another recency bias that I, I might have start having now is one-year starters because, you know, I, I missed the boat on Dwayne Haskins. I'll admit that. I had a first-time grade on him. I thought he had the potential. Now, you know, it's pretty quick to call him a bust, but he's already moving on, right? And, and you look at previous one-year starters, and again, I apologize for those who listen to me if I'm a little bit repetitive, but you look back in the last 40 years or so of the NFL draft, the most successful one-year starters are Mitchell Trubisky and Mark Sanchez. You know, Joe Burrow did have two years at LSU. He just mm -hmm. busted out his second year as a starter when Joe Brady came in. But I think now you have to wonder, a guy like Trey Lance, where he started – basically 13 games in his, his entire college career, you're seeing him as high as the second quarterback in this draft. And then I talked to some NFL scouts who say he's a day three prospect for me. All right, let me let me go along the lines of the opt-out theory, the, well, the, uh, the category that John has touched here, Rick. From your perspective, could you pick out maybe two or three guys, okay, who may have hurt themselves the most by opting out, and maybe two or three guys who maybe have helped themselves the most by opting out? Tough question. Yeah, yeah, tough question. I, you know, without looking at the, um, the opt-out tracker here, I, I think, you know, um, some guys that were probably hurt by the opt-out but it wasn't a volunteer opt-out would be uh, the Northern Iowa players, Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle, and Ellerson Smith, the defensive end, because both of these players have first-round traits, first-round size, NFL uh, size, mm -hmm. and, and huge upside. And I believe they both have invitations to the Senior Bowl, uh, which will be exciting to see. So I would say 
you know, the small school guys, by virtue of, of being forced to opt out, I think were hurt here. And then, you know, a, a player that, you know, opted back in, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, the USC uh, product. I mean, he, he had originally opted out, same with Rashard Bateman, and then they opted back in. Um, and I think, you know, the, the USC guard, Elijah Vera Baker, I mean, he's a top 50 player now, maybe even a first-round guy based on his performance. And so, you know, those would be a couple guys that come to mind. I don't have the opt-out factor uh, right here in front of me, but those would be the immediate guys who come to mind. Do, do you think that it's true, Rick, though, that some of these guys who may have had a terrific, let's just say, sophomore or junior year, right, who were able to opt out this year, maybe, and I know this this does happen, there are guys who drop in their final year, you know, they were ranked maybe in the top five last year, and then this year all of a sudden they fell because they went backwards. I remember Justin Herbert went backwards on a lot of people's boards. Do you suspect that there were some pretenders who, by by opting out, actually saved themselves a potential slippage? You know, it, 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 it's tough to say. I mean, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, I know he believes he's a top-20 talent. He didn't play this year. So does that make him slide out of the first round? I think I would go in the opposite spectrum where, like, uh, the quarterback there at Georgia, uh, Jamie Newman, he comes over from Wake Forest. There was some potential first-round buzz around this guy. So he, he transfers to Georgia says, hey, let me go play in the SA, uh, you know, SEC powerhouse build up my resume, boom, the pandemic hits, he loses those off-season workouts. Word is he couldn't pick up the playbook, oh. right? He, word is he couldn't pick up the playbook, and he was not going to win that starting job. So rather than, you know, putting himself through that scenario, he transfers from Wake Forest, doesn't even suit up for Georgia, then opts out, and I can't even fathom how you even think about taking this guy until day three. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one for sure. He fell like a stone. All right, Rick, we're, we'll talk about the, the, the general feel of this class by position in a little bit, but I want to hit on a couple of the guys at the top first because that's what fans are excited about. I think we already hit the wide receivers. You talked about Chase and uh, Devontae Smith. You mentioned the quarterbacks. The Giants are not going to go in that direction. So let's focus on a couple of the other guys. One person I've gotten a lot of questions about is Michael Parsons out of Penn State. He's one of the guys that has that did opt out and did not play this year. What is he, Rick? Is he an off-ball linebacker? Can you put him as an edge player on a, a, a in a three-four to to rush the passer? What's his profile? Where does he fit in in an NFL defensive scheme? Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you have a guy that's this big, this fast, this physical, this strong, I mean, you you can create a role for him however you want to use him. I think his best fit is probably as an off-ball or inside backer that, you know, is just see-ball, chase-ball. But now you're going to get teams where he's going to run at his size, at linebacker size. I think it was 242 at last check right around there. He's going to run probably 4-5 or maybe even in the 4-4s is what I've been told. Justin Simmons-esque is what you're telling me. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, when you have that kind of explosion size and speed, you know, can can you bring him outside on the edge? I mean, I think in theory you can. I don't know if that's what you want to do uh, ultimately, but I think in a situation, this is a guy where you, you can line him up all over the field. He's that talented, 
And, you know, again, I think he, he might set a record uh, in terms of 40-yard dash time if he gets that opportunity for a linebacker. Well, why don't we stay with defense then, Rick, because the other position of, of really big need uh, besides edge rusher on defense for the Giants is corner. And Patrick Sertain has a lot of supporters, but then there are some people who think that, you know, if you want to pick him at 11, that might be a tad high. Now, he, at least he was able to play this season. <laughs> not like not like everybody else. Where do, you, where do you see his value? And, Rick, I'll, I'll add Caleb Fairley to that mix because I feel like those are kind of the two guys that are at the top of most cornerback Yeah, players. that's fair. Yeah, I think you can add Fairley to the mix. Now, he's someone who I think did opt out early on in the process, and I, I'm a little bit higher on Sertain. I just think the body of work is, is better. He's gone up against top guys week in and week out, has great size speed. Um, to play on the boundary. And so I would also um, probably put J.C. Horn of South Carolina in there. I don't, I don't think he's getting the respect he deserves because you take a look at what he's accomplished at South Carolina, another one of these long, lengthy corners. You know, I would not be surprised if J.C. Horn, in fact, is the first corner off the board, followed by wow. certain and then uh, Farley. So that's kind of how we have them. And then Eric Stoops is a guy that doesn't have as great a size as some of those players. But you take a look at his film and his traits and his man coverage. Uh, Eric Stokes, in fact, Georgia's got a slew of cornerbacks, but Stokes could be a dark horse round one candidate. How about Sertan's speed? You mentioned that. I know a lot of people are afraid he might not test well in the 40, Rick. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think we have him in the low four or five range to, to run in that kind of area. But, mm. you know, his change of direction, he has the hips. And, and I think sometimes speed can be a little bit overrated because they're all big, they're all fast. And, and if we just went by, you know, straight line speed, well then, hey, Eli Apple would still be playing. Paul mentioned edge rusher, Rick, is another spot where the Giants are going to have to focus in on a little bit in this draft class and maybe for agency before that, who knows? How do you view this edge class? Is anybody you think potentially worth that pick at 11? And, and how deep does the class go? You know, I think you can state a case with Gregory Rousseau from Miami, another one of these opt-outs mm. that's kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Now, you know, I thought um, a couple years back, before Manny uh, Diaz got that head coaching job, he was speaking about Gregory Rousseau and said, this is a Manny Lawson clone. Now, some people might say, hey, well, if you're giving me Manny Lawson at 11, I'll pass. <laughs> but, you know, but hey, at the end of the day, he had later on in his career, especially some productive double-digit sack seasons and I think that's what you're getting with the Gregory Rousseau, a guy that can be a dependable starter, maybe not an all-pro or a pro bowl, but a guy that can you know, consistently rack you up a handful of sacks on a yearly basis just because he's going to win with that power and that size and that you know, ability to get after the quarterback. Now, the guy you got to watch out for in a 34 scheme is this Aziz Aguilari from Georgia who really came on like a gangbuster down the stretch of the season, a redshirt sophomore who I think is going to be uh, declaring if he hasn't already officially declared. And then you've got Rousseau's teammates, right, Jalen Phillips, 
is the one guy, you know, coming into the season, it was Quincy Roche, the transfer from Temple, but then it was Jalen Phillips who stole his thunder, and he's also a transfer from UCLA. This kid was a five-star recruit, had some injuries at UCLA. I think he even had to take a year off. His his explosiveness off the edge and what he was able to do this past season, Jalen Phillips, while he might not be the guy you want at 11 when you're coming back around again in round two, if you don't go edge rusher in round one, Jalen Phillips would be a guy uh, that offers a lot of appeal. And then Quiddy Pay from Michigan, I, I think he's a first rounder at this point. Uh, and I think, you know, he had a productive season there for the Wolverines, and, and he's probably their top prospect. You know, Rick, based on the tea leaves that you've put in front of us, it sounds as though of the Giants' three biggest needs going into this offseason, edge rusher, cornerback two, and wide receiver one, they would best be looking at top value at wide receiver at 11 as opposed to the other two positions. Am I reading this correctly? You know, I think it depends on who falls to you there. If you have a shot at Chase and Devonta Smith, I think they're just, you know, game-changing type of talents, and you've got to pull the trigger. But I think if they're off, if they're both off the board at that point, well, then, hey, you've got to say, well, wide receiver might be the biggest strength of the draft. Can we go offensive tackle and, dare I say, a Christian Darryfraw from, from Virginia Tech um, or even a Samuel Kosey from Texas, and then come back around and get a wide receiver in round two. Uh, I, I think if Chase and, and Smith are off the board, you've got to consider that option. Yeah, Rick, we saw, and I think this is a, a good place to take this conversation. I want to ask a two-part question. The first part I'll let you answer, then I'll give you a follow-up. Once you get past Smith and, and Chase, how big is that drop-off to that next group? And I guess, you know, Jalen Waddle's in that group. Is, is Bateman in that group? How do you view that next group? How big of a drop-off is there? And then I'll ask you the second part of the question. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look at it like the next talent, you know, based on pure talent, yeah. the next next two next two or three guys are really slot receivers. Rondell Moore, Jalen Waddle, and Kadarius Toney. And, yeah, they might all wind up going in round one, but do you really want to take a slot receiver at number 11, especially with Moore? and Waddle, who bring injury concerns and durability issues, you don't want to use another high high pick on a skilled position guy who's prone to injury. Fair enough. And how deep is this wide receiver class? Because we've seen last year specifically, and even the year before that, how you're getting you know, 1A or, at worst, number two wide receivers in the second round that are contributing right away. Is this class just as deep as last year's, where if you're the Giants and you're picking there at 43 – all right, I'm going to get a damn good player here that I can plug in and he'll be an impact player right away. That's exactly right. I, I think at 43, you can still get a player with a round one grade who slides into that area just based on the fact that this year's wide receiver class, I think, is even better than last year's wide better. receiver class. That's how talented, better. And, and you got guys like Rashad Bateman, Terrence Marshall Jr., Seth Williams from Auburn, Nico Collins from Michigan, uh, the kid St. Brown from USC is a good sleeper. And then you want to go back into the, the slot guys, Amari Rogers from Clemson. We haven't even spoken about him. So I think all those guys I just mentioned could be in play at number 43. You know, interesting though, Rick, most of these receivers uh, are, are on the smaller side. 
to me, when you were just going through that list and, and you were naming a bunch of, of, of second-level guys, Marshall's obviously a skyscraper. Um, Nico Collins from Michigan is a skyscraper. To me, maybe, I don't know, Seth Williams, you consider him kind of borderline skyscraper. Other than that, what concerns me, and maybe it's just my, my bias in that I'd like to see the Giants get a bigger guy, uh, most of these, these top-level folks are on the smaller side. Well, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think, like I said, the, the guys like Rondell Moore, Jalen Waddell, Kadarius Tony, in my opinion, I agree with you, Paul. I think those are, are, are more luxury assets, right? I think those are the back end of round one receivers where competing veteran teams that are kind of looking for a piece to put them over the top, they can afford to draft a guy like that. But the Giants, they need playmakers, and they need playmakers on the outside. Right, you got to get playmakers on the outside before you can have playmakers on the inside. And so, to me, like, hey, Chase and Devonta Smith may be off the board. I think Bateman can fit the bill there. I think Seth Williams has enough size to fit the bill there. And then you want to start thinking mid rounds. Well, you know, Trevon Grimes. You want a big, you know, kind of go up and get it red zone type of target. Uh, he'll be down at the Senior Bowl. Um, Tyler Vaughn's. You look at him, he's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, out there at USC, and you saw Michael Pittman's development there in Indianapolis mm-hmm. down the stretch of the season. Tyler Vaughn, you know, on, in some people's opinion, could be even a higher-rated prospect, but I think he brings a lot of those similar skill sets. All right, let, let's stick with skill position, guys, here and go to the tight end position. I want to focus on Kyle Pitts. Dane Brugler released a, a mock draft a couple days ago. He had the Giants picking Pitts at 11. Is he that special of a player, Rick, where he could be that tight end that is worth a top 15 selection? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I just don't think – I don't see him being available at 11. To me, wow. he's one of the top okay. five players in this year's draft. I mean – um, he is really a a a bulked up Shannon Sharp. I mean, this this guy is a mismatch nightmare. I'm not sure I've seen quite the receiving polished receiving product to come out of college like I have in Kyle Pitts. I, I find it almost impossible for him to last till eleven. Can he block? He can block good enough when you catch like that. <laughs> 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 oh, man, I, li- I like that answer a lot. Uh, to circle back around to the quarterbacks, because uh, after all, uh, even though the Giants don't need one, I do think it's going to impact what is available to them at 11 if, as most people think, there'll be three to go in the top 10. Is that the way you're handicapping it so far? Yeah, I think, I think Lawrence and Fields are, are sure – Surefire locks there. I think Zach Wilson is a guy. I would not be surprised ultimately if Wilson comes off the board before Justin Fields. I think there's some love in the NFL that people are asking themselves. Not only is he better, they're they're not asking if he's just better than Justin Fields. Some teams are asking if Zach Wilson's the best quarterback in this year's draft. And so, you know, I, I think whether the teams remain intact or there's some trade ups, Lawrence Fields. Zach Wilson, to me, are all top ten picks. And then, you know, I think you've got, in terms of first round, could they slide into the top ten? Maybe Trey Lance, because all it takes is one team to fall in love. But I think, you know, those would be the four potential top ten quarterbacks. Who else would go in the first round, do you think? Mac Jones, do you think he squeezes in? 
I think Mac Jones, you know, a team like the Steelers, if they want to bring back uh, Big Ben for a year, I think Mac Jones could be kind of the quarterback they thought Mason Rudolph was. So I, I could see it. Interesting, interesting. All right, let's let's wrap up the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we got running backs and O-line. Now, we kind of talked a little bit about the offensive tackles. We all know Penny Sewell is not going to be there for the Giants at 11. You mentioned some names earlier. A guy like Rashawn Slater, I think some people think Rick could either be a guard or a tackle and has some versatility. What other offensive tackles or offensive linemen, I'll just throw it out there that generically, if the Giants decide to go in that direction at 11, could they or should they be considering? Well, I think Rashawn Slater is an interesting case study because we don't. This is where the measurements come into play. He's not going to have those, you know, those 34-inch benchmark arms, right? And I think that can hurt him in the process. So, you know, is, is he in consideration there at 11? I wouldn't rule it out. That's for sure. Um, you know, in terms of left tackle potential, I think once you get past Panay Sewell, you know, Samuel Cosme from Texas, Christian Darisoff from Virginia Tech, I think these are left tackle guys. And, you know, you can't really ever overvalue a left tackle, in my opinion, when you look around the league. I think half the teams in the league would say, hey, we, we'd love to upgrade our tackle position, especially even at left tackle. Jalen Mayfield is a dark horse uh, from Michigan, Tevin Jenkins, from Oklahoma State, these guys have the size, the length, the athleticism. They're a little bit more raw, but they have the upside and the potential. And then, you know, I'll say from an interior perspective, um, Trey Smith, I, I think we've got probably a top 10 film grade on him. However, he's had multiple issues now uh, with this blood clotting issue in his lungs. Now, he's been in the clear for the last couple seasons. But early on in his career, there were some issues there, and I don't know how that checks out medically, but if we're just basing it, basing it on a, a film evaluation, well, Trey Smith from Tennessee is a top-ten player in this year's draft. All right, very quickly, Paul, running backs, are we going to have one, two sneak into the first round, Rick? Is anybody in this group that, that you think is special? I don't know if I would use the term special. I think depending on what you want, if you want more of that flashing presence, Travis Etienne's your guy. If you want more of the bruising back, Najee Harris is your guy. And then I think Javante Williams from North Carolina is probably third. All right, let's flip it then the defense. We talked about the top corners. Rick, if the Giants decided that they wanted to go second round on a corner because they, they were attracted to somebody else at a different position at 11, uh, is there going to be somebody of good value there? How deep is the second round going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some solid value at corner here. Uh, second round, I would probably start, you know, considering, you know, uh, maybe a DJ Daniel from Georgia, who, who, you know, they have, like I said, a lot of top cornerbacks. Um, Asante Samuel Jr., not the biggest guy, but a playmaker, a guy who creates turnovers, you know, could probably fit similar mold to a Janoris Jenkins, I think, at the next level. So he would be a guy, if you want a bigger corner, well, then Paulson Adebo from uh, Stanford. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who opted out. You kind of forget about him. But I had a chance to see Stanford live. And you talk about what an NFL corner looks like. Paulson Adebo, um, he's a guy I think could come off the board there at, at, at you know, round two area. So um, Elijah Molden from Washington, uh, I think he has – a lot of love out there in, in the second or third round as well. 
Is there a big drop-off, Rick, from that first tier of guys that you spoke about earlier to that second group? Are you taking a big risk in waiting to round two, or do you feel pretty confident about these day two corners that, could, that, they, could, that they can come in and help you? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I feel good about anybody really being a lockdown solid, you know, corner one kind of guy. I think there's a lot of cornerback twos in, okay. in this market. So, you know, Sean Wade is a guy where coming into the season, a lot of people thought he would be a first-round guy. In fact, Chase Young even went on record and, and, and told me at the Maxwell Club last year that Sean Wade was a better player than Jeffrey Okuda, who went number four overall, oh. I think. So, but, you know, based on what I saw with Sean Wade, I don't think he's a boundary corner. But, you know, if you're telling me I, I can get a nickel corner, which is essentially a starter in today's NFL, like Sean Wade at, at, at uh, 43 or whatever they're picking, I mean, I think that would be a great value. Defensive line seems to be uh, really sparse in the first round. Does, uh, does the Bama kid Barmore sneak in? Yeah, I think Barmore is probably the only defensive tackle at this point that we would put in that first-round conversation. Marvin Wilson from Florida State, kind of a disappointing year. I think he's now back in that day two range. And uh, Jay Tufeli from, from USC is a guy to keep an eye on. Here's one guy like who's really squatty, uh, doesn't have the prototypical height, but, man, he, he can really get over. Like, for a big dude, boy, can he move this, this Jordan Scott from Oregon. I don't know if you checked him out. You know, take a look at him, though. He's a really intriguing guy. And I think day two, you've got to take a look at this Tyler Shelvin from LSU, who, again, he sat out this year. He opted out. Here's a, here's a player who may have hurt himself, going back to the earlier question. Tyler Shelvin, you know, what 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 what, what is he weighing? That's what the first question is, because he's been <laughs> as much as 380. Right, three eighty. Oh my God, that that's Gilbert Brown territory right there. Yeah. Holy cow! And so, and I know he he dropped like forty or fifty pounds last season, but then he opted out, and it's like, well, hey, we we might not even see him because he's a redshirt junior. He's not going to be in the in the senior bowl, and if the if the combine gets canceled, well, hey, we we might not even see Tyler Shelvin. Wow. That's crazy. We talked about Micah Parsons. What are the linebackers? And, you know, this is not the edge rusher guys we're talking about. Rudy, we already touched on those, Rick. Off-ball, inside linebackers. Who else in this draft class do you like once you get past Parsons and when you think they'll go off the board? You know, I like this Chaz Surratt from North Carolina. I had a chance to see him as he converted. You know, he was a quarterback and couldn't really, you know, uh, hit the playing field as a quarterback. So he converted to linebacker last year. And I think, you know, I actually had a chance to speak with the father about the transition. And he was saying, well, hey, this ain't new to him because he played linebacker in high school. So he very quickly, you know, readjusted to that position. I think he has a natural, uh, you know, nose for the football, great instincts with that quarterback background. He's able to read and decipher and react very quickly, takes great angles and, and pursuits. So I like Chad Surratt from North Carolina a lot. I think Jacoby Stevens from LSU, a guy that, you know, has been moved all around. He, you know, played safety. He played linebacker. I, I think that's where his fit is at the next level is Jacoby Stevens. He could be in play at 43. Um, how about Jabril Cox coming over from North Dakota State? He, he you know, hits the transfer portal and, and levels up. 
and wins a starting job at LSU. Not only does he win a starting job, but he plays at a very high level. So I think he's another guy. Baron Browning from Ohio State is probably the best of that talented Ohio State Buckeye linebacker corps. But Baron Browning is a guy who can, you know, stuff the run, also does well in coverage. You know, he was kind of the guy that they were trying to key in on uh, on Travis Etienne as a pass catcher coming out of the backfield. Um, and then, you know, Jeremiah Owusu Karoma from North, uh, Notre Dame, we just call him Jock. I think he's now kind of, you know, put himself in that first round category as well. Wow. Do you, do you see him as as more of a of a like a jumbo safety in a in a sub package though, as opposed to really being a linebacker at the NFL level? I could see that, you know, and he does have some of that experience at Notre Dame. So I think you know, you like with with him in the LSU player, you've really got to have a defined role, I believe, on how you want to use him going into the process. But if you can identify that in terms of where you're going to use them, well, then I think you can justify the value. All right, I'll ask you about safeties. The Giants have about 8,000 of them, so they're probably not going to draft (laughs) one. So you can feel free to keep this one brief, Rick. Safety class, deep, who do you, anybody first round worthy? I know last year I don't think one safety got picked in the first round. Xavier McKinney was the first one off the board in round two. What do you think about this safety class? Yeah, it's a it's a tough year for safeties. You know, Richard LeCount from Georgia is a guy I like a lot. I just can't justify him in the first round. He's, he's just too small, and, and I worry about that. Um, you know, the Florida State safety uh, was very high on the radar coming into the season, uh, Nazarel Dean, and then he hit an injury. So I think he's not in that first round conversation any any longer. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm struggling to put a safety in the first round. You could state a case for Andre Sisco from Syracuse, who's, you know, body beautiful, you know, uh, looks like Paul Londorf, but then, you know, had the late season injury. And so, again, without knowing what the medical looks like, I don't know where he ultimately lands. But I, I think Sisco from Syracuse is probably the one guy who could sneak into the latter part of round one. Generic question for me, Rick, as we've gone through all the different positions. Uh, I know that you don't know exactly what the schedule holds for the next offseason. Are there any things that you know for sure that you're going to be able to attend or to go through that, uh, you know, at this point it's like, all right, I know I'm going to get this at the very minimum, and then we're just going to have to see how the rest of the stuff kind of sorts itself out. Well, you know, we'll have some staff down in – Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, and then we'll just wait and see mm-hmm. what the NFL calendar looks like, what the second wave of COVID looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, stay optimistic, but also looking like what's going on over in the U.K. and, and the second strain and the second wave of lockdown. Is that inevitable here in the United States? That's the ultimate variable and X factor we all don't know, but – I'm anticipating at this stage a, a, a late combine in April. And, again, I think it's going to be more for the medical evaluation uh, efforts rather than, you know, if they don't get any measure, you know, any time uh, drills or, or position drills in, I, I don't think that's the priority. But the medicals are. And there's not going to be time for a medical uh, callback either. You know, usually you get the, 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 the recheck. There's not going to be any of that. I have heard, though. I have heard there is optimism that some schools may allow pro days. I don't know how it's going to work, if there's going to be kind of 
like a Blesto scout or a national scout that kind of hits the trails because, again, my understanding talking to a lot of the schools is they don't really want scouts who are traveling the country, going from campus to campus, coming into their facility now and, 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 and traveling the country and doing it that way. So there's a lot to be decided, a lot to be determined. We're hoping for the best. Um, there are some other smaller all-star games. I think the Tropic Bowl is this week. There's the College Gridiron Showcase, which is more of, you know, your fringe draftable priority free agent guys, which is, you know, providing a huge value and need for that as well. But, you know, it's going to be a draft cycle like we've never seen before. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep doing what we do. But I, I, I will tell you this, that draft in Cleveland I do not anticipate that moving. We saw last year the show must go on even if it remains virtual. All right, folks, just want to remind you to get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants brand, the debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Rick, I have two others for you real quick before we say goodbye, and then I'll let Paul give you one more if he has it. One, besides wide receiver, what is another very deep position in this class that you might be able to get into the third round or fourth round and still get a quality player? You know, I, I like the tight end class, believe it or not, because I think Kyle Pitts uh, comes off the board in round one. And then you've got, you know, guys like Brevin Jordan from Miami, who's like a Jordan Reed clone. You've got Baby Gronk uh, over there at Penn State. And this kid, Hunter Long, from Boston College, those are all pass-catching threats. But if you want a guy who comes in and just blocks his butt off, this Tommy Tremble. There you go. I love him, Rick. I love him. And and I think, you know, here you go. Uh, You want a tight end, probably round three, that's going to come in and and can start for you? Hey, I like that kid a lot. And, hey, Josh Peterson, remember that name, the son of – Doug Peterson, he's a really good-looking player at the tight end position. Interesting. All right, I I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, so I'm putting you on the spot, so I apologize ahead of time, but I trust that you'll be able to answer this pretty quickly. Anyhow, uh, players that you're most excited to see at the Senior Bowl in a couple weeks, which, to your point, might be the only chance we have to see a lot of these guys now that the college season's over. How about Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh? You want to talk about a 4-3 hand in the dirt defensive end that can get after the quarterback. I'm really excited to see him perform up against the best because you saw what Montez Sweat did a couple years ago at the Senior Bowl. I think Patrick Jones could be this year's version of that. Well, I'm going to reserve my final question for something totally bogus because we talk about this all the time on BBKL, Rick, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway because there are people with their mock drafts already coming out. Who are the Giants taking at number 11? <laughs> oh, Paul, you're <laughs> <laughs> And you have the right to reserve and change your mind at any time before the draft. <laughs> well, you know, David Kettleman is all about the hog molly. Um, I don't know what Nate Soldier is doing. I don't know what the status is there. But I think Darisaw is the guy that, you know, a lot of people might not be talking about him right now. But I think as we get closer to the draft, um, Christian Darisaw is a guy who could come in and either compete at left tackle and, and move Andrew Thomas back over to right, or he just slides into the right tackle position. But I think they need to continue to solidify that 
line up front and, and keep Daniel Jones upright. You know, maybe I should ask you a follow-up here, Rick, because I think by by what Mara and Gettleman had said recently about their need for playmakers, you'd like to believe that, you know, that's where they're going to go. But I understand the fortification of the offensive line is huge. Could they potentially, if they wanted to fortify that line, get some quality guys who could compete, maybe particularly on the inside uh, in the second or third round if they wanted to do that? They could, but I, I think at this stage, like we we, we got to stop trying to patch it and just get guys that we can depend on. So to me, it's like, you know, let's get guys that we know can come in and compete rather than taking guys that we hope can come in and compete. And I think the biggest issue here is when you look at the playmakers, they're clearly not taking a running back. And when you know, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Kyle Pitts all come off the board before number 11, do you really force the playmaker pick? Yeah, it's a good question. Especially when it's a deep class, right? Correct. Yeah, it's a good question. Rick. Or, or do you take the corner there? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that could be that could be where you see the first cornerback off the board, so... That would address a huge need. If you're getting the top player at that position, I think you consider it. So, Rick, all, all jokes aside, and I don't want to put the Giant fans down in the dumps about the draft already, based on what we're talking about today, unless somebody drops, 11th doesn't seem like it's the best place to be in this draft. I feel like you're kind of out of that first tier of players and right at the beginning of a second tier that probably runs pretty deep. Do you Do you consider that an accurate statement? You know, I, I think a couple things there. I think if you're the Giants, you're hoping for teams to trade up into the top ten to draft a quarterback and hoping that four quarterbacks go in the top ten picks because now you're getting one of your top five non-quarterback players in the draft. Well, so, so you know, I'll follow up then. Who are your, you know, top of the line, top of the tier, better than everybody else non-quarterbacks in this class that if you're the Giants you're hoping one of these guys might slip to 11 well you know why not Micah Parsons when's the last time we had a transcending linebacker in Jersey like Micah Parsons brings me back to the 80s that would be my guy very good Rick Awesome stuff, my friend. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll, of course, touch base around the combine, then again before the draft. And once again, tell everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, NFLDraftBible.com. We're really excited about our relaunch and rebranding on Sports Illustrated. That will uh, be hitting next week. So if you log on, NFLDraftBible.com and follow us on Twitter, at NFLDraftBible. It's the easiest way to find everything we do. Rick, great stuff. Congratulations, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right, stay safe out there, bud. Be well, Rick. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. That's Rick Saratello from NFL Draft Bible. We thank him for joining us on this episode of the Giant Subtle Podcast. And, Paul, before I wrap up here, this was kind of our first deep dive on the air into this draft class. I know we've both done some very ancillary work on these guys and these players. We have a lot of, you know, ground yet to travel. Your initial impressions of the class and where the Giants are picking at 11. Well, John, to be honest with you, after talking to Rick, it's quite clear to me, as it was actually going in, that uh, the Giants at 11 are in a precarious spot. Because, <laughs> I know, it's hard to say that, you know, but I feel and you, the same you way. You asked him that at the end of the interview, and I understood what you were coming, where you were coming from because 
Uh, we've been saying now, at least I know for sure I have, and I'm pretty sure the rest of our crew has for the last month, what the Giants' top three needs are. And whether or not they can get them in free agency is going to be a big question because when you look at the draft, there is a very real possibility that you're not getting a solid 100% confident pick at any one of those three spots when you are on the board at number 11. Yeah, you might not have, to to use your terminology, your blue-chip guy at because there might not be a blue-chip corner in this class, right? There, there, there just might not be one. So yeah. even if you get the first corner, that guy might, you know, there might not be a Jeffrey Okuda type in this in this draft, right? Doesn't so, look like no. it. No. And then you go to wide receiver, and you have those two guys at the top, but then there's a bit of a drop-off to Rick's point. So if why would you pick one at 11 when you can get a guy that's nearly just as good at 43, right? Well, so, yeah, according to, to my glossary, those are the red chippers. Right, I agree, 100%. And that's and, the problem. Right, and then you go to uh, edge rusher, and there might not even be a player that's worth a top 15 pick in this class, depending on what you think of Rousseau, Pay, and those guys. So mm-hmm. you might be a situation where you have to go to a position that maybe isn't as big of a need to get the better player. And frankly, Paul, I'll be honest with you, at 6-10, and 10, I don't have a problem with that because you're still trying to build a talent base, right? You're still trying to get as many blue-chip players as possible because let's be honest, when you look at the Giants roster right now, how many blue-chip players do you see? I would say you don't have enough of them yet to be a you know contending team. So would you rather just pick a blue chipper at a, a spot that's not necessarily a position of big need than pick a red chip prospect at a position of need? So that might end up being where we wind up when all is said and done here. Well, this is one of the reasons, and if not one of, certainly a, a could even be the number one reason why anybody who said going into the final week that the Giants are better off not making the playoffs than making it because they're going to pick 19 instead of 11. Well, after hearing this conversation today, do you now understand why that would have really not made a whole lot of difference? Yeah. I mean, really. No, you're right. You win the division, get into the playoffs. Okay, so you pick 19 instead of 11. What's the big deal? Based on the way this draft matches up to their holes, that that fall would not have been worth missing out on the playoffs. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, Paul. we got a long way to go, but I thought Rick gave us a great introduction to everything Giant fans should be keeping an eye on when the draft hits. Uh, and, well, I'm not even going to say when because who knows? It could get pushed back a little bit. Who who the heck knows? And who knows if we're having a combine? But we do have the Senior Bowls in a couple weeks, and that should be a lot of fun. Paul, good stuff, my friend. Appreciate it. Enjoy it, John. That's Paul Dottino. I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us for this episode of the Giants Little Podcast. You can find the Giants Little Podcast and all of our podcasts, including Big Blue Kickoff Live and Giants Rewind, on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank, on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. We will see you next time, everybody. Stay safe out there.